I love fried chicken. I think about it more than I should. This is Chef Tori. So yeah, I'm Tori Miller. I'm the chef and owner of La Toile Restaurant, Gray's, Miller Family Meat and Three, and Estreon Restaurants in Madison, Wisconsin. Cooking at home can be hard. But Chef's Dreams is bringing world-renowned restaurant chefs into your home kitchen with pro tips and culinary techniques, like this one from Chef Tori, the James Beard and Iron Chef winner from Madison, Wisconsin. The Korean way of doing the fried chicken is you fry it at 320 for 10 minutes, and then you take it out and you let it rest on a rack for five minutes, and then you fry it again for two minutes, and then you get the super crunch. And I use that for like little pieces of chicken that you're gonna toss it in like a wet sauce and it stays crunchy. That's how you get that extra crunch. That's the ancient Korean secret, I guess. <laughs> Not so secret Korean secret. With an annual membership to Chef Streams, you have access to weekly interactive live stream experiences where you cook a multi-course meal with your favorite chefs. Plus, members get access to a library of over 30 past classes available on demand. And there are exclusive deals from cooking-related brands like Tillet, Made in Cookware, and Messermeister, which is so awesome. We've worked out a special discount on membership for Copper and Heat listeners that will save you 40% off the standard membership rate. So you can get an annual membership for $99 instead of the usual $165. To learn more about Chef Streams and take advantage of this special offer, go to chefstreams.com and enter the invite code COPPER when you request a membership invitation. What is your real mission in your heart and how can you do that? And also, of course, make money for your business. And we were always, we always operated under the belief that the more we can serve, the more our business will be profitable. You're listening to Copper and Heat, the podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurants. I'm Katie Osuna. This is the last theme in our third season, Pre-Shift, getting you tips, tools, and resources to navigate the challenges of working in hospitality. In this last theme, we have three episodes, each with a different entrepreneur talking about the challenges they faced in starting their own thing, and how they faced those challenges. In this Pre-Shift, we're talking with Jasmin Vialta and Enrique Soriano from Cocina del Corazón in Oakland about how grassroots growth has allowed them to thrive while sticking to their values. Chef Enrique has been cooking professionally for most of his life. His parents own a food business, so he's always been helping out. That's kind of how I started my journey with, with my with my folks' uh, uh, taco truck here in East Oakland when I was 18. That just really gave me something to do. Really was like, okay, I'm really good at food. You know, coming from Oakland and the background that I have, you know, we were raised in West Oakland, really, uh, I guess you could call it a ghetto. Uh, it's not so much anymore. But it was when I was growing up. And so um, my options were pretty slim. Um, I had already gotten in trouble a couple of times. But um, I guess cooking was my was something that I felt really passionate about. And I felt something that I can keep doing. So I went to culinary school with always the same mindset to, at the end goal, have a place of my own. Um, so out of culinary school, I went to Sequoia National Park. And that's where I kind of was like, all right, this is going to be where I want to learn everything. While he was working in restaurants, he started to notice a lot of issues with the restaurant industry that he just couldn't get on board with. 
From there, I came to San Francisco. I started working different restaurants. And, you know, it just seeing the restaurant industry really like, you know, I learned a lot. It, it was really great. I, lo- I love the passion that I, the passion that I, I see when I meet different chefs who really are passionate as you are about food. And that really exists, exists really strong in San Francisco, but also what really sh- exists really strong in San Francisco is the abuse of that passion. You know, I'll tell you, oh, you're really passionate about working. You know, you'll come in two hours early on your dime, you know, because it's so much work. And and you do it because, you know, you, you feel like everybody else does it. You see, you see, like, you know, it almost it almost comes like a war mentality because you're in the trenches with your with your brothers and sisters and you want to you want to help them out in this battle. You want to all want to succeed and finish up the end of the night and be like, all right, we're done with all these tickets. We made it. We had a solid night. All the food came out. We had no problems. And that involves coming in two hours beforehand on your own dime. And 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 that's just one of the 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 few things that happens, you know, as well as chefs can taken advantage by investors or or you know, even chefs being taken advantage by other chefs who have their businesses. And it's a crazy industry and and it really disheartened me and I had to leave it. Enrique decided to work in catering instead, which was a lot better but he always wanted to work for himself. So while he still had another full-time job, he started his own thing on the side. Hasmin is his partner. They started dating before he started doing pop-ups and catering on his own. Even though Hasmin wasn't from the restaurant industry, she wanted to help with the business. I was seeing Enrique work his catering job, cater on the weekends, and not just cater, like, he would write the invoices. He'd write the, you know, the proposals. He would do everything from A to Z for his events. And being a girlfriend that just really, you know, cared about my partner and and also seeing the love and dedication behind it and seeing that it wasn't a transactional thing. It was like, it was all this love behind the work he was doing and and seeing him so tired at the end of the night, but so happy at the same time because he's like doing his own thing. It helped me sleep. <laughs> it um it really um it, it it lit a light bulb for me and I'm like, oh well, I have a lot of skills that I've acquired through working for other people, and I like not having to do what people you know like I want to do my own thing too and that's when we just joined forces and I was like look we can make this this situation real pro I can make a logo on Canva I'll get us a Google voice and a Gmail and we are good to go and we pretty much you know I I infiltrated his business in that way created the logo and cards And I think like the next week we catered a wedding. In order to build their business, they both had a lot to learn. I did a lot of uh, Googling and, and, you know, my mother was, was a, was a wealth of knowledge. Um, But I did a lot of connecting with the uh, city of Oakland. They have a a business development center in in Oakland and Franco Gala Plaza and and I think they they've been super helpful. And then the whole taxing part, which is really difficult, but was really helpful, is that the uh, the BCC wants to help you. And so I found that um, 
you know, a lot of people are scared to, to call them and to be like, hey, I'm having trouble or, hey, can I get an extension because I don't know what to do. I, I quickly found out that, you know, calling them and being open and honest, like the first time I was running a little behind, I told them, hey, you know, this is my first time doing this. I need a little bit more time. Um, I just can't figure this out. And they're allowed to give you tax advice because that's what they do. Free information that that you would have to pay a CPA or somebody. Being resourceful is my personal superpower. And I love like going through little like rabbit holes of like, oh, look at this organization. Oh, and then if you go on their website, then they have this like going through these little trails and finding people and organizations that want to help small businesses succeed became like my thing. I was like looking for all these classes and the small business program through Bank Bank of the West has a program called Operation Hope. And that's, that was the first official business class we took. Like it was our day. We'd go together, you know, and sit in class and, and talk about our business with other um, Oakland entrepreneurs. And that really paved the way for us to see the value in these classes and resources. And, you know, it went from Operation Hope's program, the um, SBA program. We've done some cohorts through the ICA fund. And for us, that gave us so much support that we otherwise don't think we would have known about, you know, like, um, but it did take us having to seek these resources because unfortunately, it's, it's not all the time that the resource will come to you. Most important to them was that they grow their business in a way that was ethical and sustainable, not just environmentally, but for the people that work for them and for their community. I, I saw my parents build their business up, you know, from ground up, my mother, uh, mostly by herself in a grassroots style, you know, with with no funding, you know, straight bootstrap, you know, everything she did, she built up from scratch. And that's kind of the same process that I took the business as well. We started, you know, little catering, small events here and there part time while I was still working. Finally, once we started garnering more attention and people kept, you know, coming back saying, hey, can you do this party for me again? Or, hey, you know, somebody told me this about you. I left my my job and started going at it full time. That was the next phase. I I call it like the R&D phase because at that point I still hadn't had, you know, all these official, you know, my official LOC or even anything with the health department or anything like that yet. So because it was still part-time, but once I started going full-time where we started working at a pop-up and that's really where we dialed down our model and started to secure a little bit more revenue to put in for our applications, for our licenses, for for the health department, to put in for the uh, commissary kitchen and the the pop-ups. Then once we got, you know, all the licensing out of the way, we started to, to purchase our own equipment, our own tents. And it's a slow process when, when you don't start off with like funding or with investors. But I feel like this kind of grassroots way of growing allows you more control and to be more true to your vision. And, and not only that, I feel like it allowed us to survive the pandemic. Because if we would have been uh, wrapped up with either investors and with like a lease or with like you know something bigger, 
we wouldn't have made it. Uh, our overhead is very low uh, because of we because of our situation. So we were able to chuck and dive really well with the situation. And I think that's one of the challenges. Yeah, and something I wanted to add about, you know, how can a small business owner be profitable and also do more, you know, like, I feel like that's the, that's a solid foundation for entrepreneurship. It's like, what is your real mission in your heart and how can you do that? And also, of course, make money for your business. And we were always, we always operated under the belief that the more we can serve, the more our business will be profitable. And even when we were doing our our sustainable high-end catering event, we always operated under like a sliding scale model for every church, every school, every nonprofit. If you were a multimillionaire, you know, having us cater for you, you were definitely going to pay like the, the, the price, right? Like all the upcharges, all the setup fees, because we want to obviously make money. But that always allowed us to say, oh, a community event for 400 people and your budget is a thousand bucks. Yeah, let's do it. Like, and we'll stay extra hour, you know, like we never once had any hesitation to provide for the community. I think that's the best glue for our small business, knowing that it wasn't just a money transaction. It was, it all had a deeper meaning and a deeper connection to mother nature, the sustainability that we wanted to create in the catering industry and the difference we wanted to make within the community. You guys can come check us out at cocinadelcorazon.com and on Instagram at Cocina del Corazon Oakland. We'll link to Cocina del Corazon in our notes, so please check them out. Thank you so much for listening to Pre-Shift, our third season. We're going to be taking a little break for a few months as we work on what's next, so now would be a great time to go back and listen to any of our episodes that you might have missed. We'd love to hear about what you'd like to hear for season four. So follow us in your podcast app and find us on various social channels at Copper and Heat and send us a message on our website or in our DMs. Copper and Heat is a member of the One Star Podcast Network, the first podcast network dedicated to representing voices and stories from the service industry with shows created by service industry workers. Definitely check out our website, onestarpodcastnetwork.com. There are a ton of really great shows to check out like Sidework Podcast and Modern Waiter. Pre-Shift, the third season of Copper and Heat, is produced by me, Katie Osuna. Our story editor is Rachel Palmer. Our sound engineer and composer is Ricardo Osuna. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back soon.